Good afternoon and welcome back to the EJS show on the Liberty Block with Ed, Jody and Steve and again joined by joined by Mike as well. This show is being recorded live and will be available within a few hours as a podcast which can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for the Liberty Block. We invite anyone listening to this podcast to join us live on Zoom or by phone and share your thoughts on the issues that we discuss. Welcome everybody, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are, how are you guys doing? Good, good afternoon guys. It's, it's been a really mi mild, quiet week the last week, right? You know, it not much is. going on in the world. Yeah, I'm restrained enough to let somebody else go first. Mike, you wanna go first? Well, geez, I don't know where to start. Where do we start? So uh, listen, uh, you know, there was a point in time, I got to say, I thought I was almost ready to concede myself uh, with respect to the election. But the more I, I see what's been going on, uh, what you're hearing about what was going on at some of these polling places. I mean, heck, they're still counting ballots in like North Carolina. I'm wondering what the hell is going on in North Carolina for the last week that they haven't called it. But um, I'm only counting ballots here in North Carolina, Mike. I'm in North Carolina as we record this. Yeah. They're actually soliciting ballots. Yeah, you can get yeah. ballots. Wait, wait, wait. What does that mean? What do you mean? I haven't heard that. They're still trying to procure votes. On the radio that harvesting people, votes. Not just harvesting, but just allow letting people advertising and letting people know you have until nine days after the election to get your ballot in. Is that true? They do. Well, not under That's state law, but under a state uh, judicially crafted settlement. Uh, <laughs> yes, I mean, that's an issue. So it's that, not illegal what they're doing. Uh, well, it's funny that you say it. it's, it's not illegal in the same way that the Nuremberg laws were not illegal. <laughs> yes. All through a legal process, but the legal process within the state violates Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 of the Constitution. The, the court decision uh, giving its imprimatur to this is in violation of the constitutional requirement that state legislatures make the rules, not judges and not, yeah. not the Board of Elections. Um, Listen, that, that's the crux of the matter right now. We want to just get right to the heart of it. We have tons, tens of thousands of illegal votes at this point. And odds are it's going to end up in the courts. And it's just a matter of whether the courts are going to uphold the law or not, whether it's the Supreme Court or what. That, that's the question before us right yeah. now. You know, I think a lot of times people think about fraud and they're thinking about some of the other things that are going on. But at the end of the day, you know, we've had, you know, liberals going to the courts, trying to get extensions on, on votes, but no signature verifications in places, um, all this funny business going on. But it's up to the courts to uphold the law that was set by state legislatures and not being done by governors or by judicial fiat in the courts. So I mostly agree with that. Part of I it. mostly agree with you, Mike. But I, I think, I think that the horse is a little out of the barn, and that's. And here's what I mean by that: we don't know how many illegal votes there are. It's not like there's a stack of ballots that we know are illegal, and the question is, do they count? The issue is we don't even know how many illegal votes there are because what the Democrats did was set up a system that took off all the possibilities or almost all the possibilities for oversight and for safeguarding fraud from happening in the first place. So for instance, you, you alluded to a couple, you know, there's no signature requirement in a bunch of these states. 
there's no uh, requirement that the postmark be checked or that there even be a yeah. postmark. Uh, we've got evidence that Republican poll watchers were barred from witnessing the opening of the ballots. We've got evidence that Democrat that that uh, votes for Democrats that were issued, that were done by mail, which were defective, uh, were the subject of uh, attempts to fix those uh, ballots, where the the Democrats reached out to voters in Philadelphia, for instance, and said, "Well, your your ballot is defective. You need to come down and give us a signature or give us." I mean, I'm not sure what the what the def defects were, but they didn't do that in Republican counties. Um, so there's a whole bunch of what I would call institutional fraud that has just been built into the system as a legal matter. And I'm not sure that it qualifies as fraud in the sense that a court is going to be able to overturn it. Um, I also think that courts are going to look at whether, even if there is fraud, okay, even if you can show that there were 5,000 illegal ballots that were provided, that were counted. If Biden won by 5,200, the courts are going to say, well, there was fraud, but it didn't affect the election result. So we're not going to step in. Well, he, he, listen, let, I mean, we, let me, we, it's, hard, it's hard. Go ahead. You want to finish your point? One more sentence or two, and I'll let you go. So <laughs> I think that there's fraud. I, I hope that the courts are going to find it and create a record of it. But I mean, especially given as a conservative that I don't want courts overstepping their power, I'm not really even sure that this is a court function. I think that this is a function for the state legislatures to say there is enough of a record of fraud. Well, it's both. I think it's both in the sense that courts should be there to develop this record of fraud. The you know the the submission of evidence under evidentiary rules, under penalties of perjury, should all be done to, in, a, in a court. But I think that even if everything goes the way all four of us here want it to go and the way the Trump team wants it to go, my I think that the proper response from a court would be to catalog the fraud, lay it all out bare for everyone to see and say, you know what, the horse is out of the barn. We can't stop this election now. And we don't know which ballots are fraudulent or which are not. We don't know which ones were opened that didn't have a signature or didn't have a postmark or were late. So we're referring this to the state legislature. That's what I think should happen. I don't know that it will yeah. happen. I think both are at play. You got the courts, you got the state legislatures. Let's just take Pennsylvania, where we know from James O'Keefe that they, they've had whistleblowers in the post office saying how they were told to postmark it election day, even yeah. though the ballots were coming in late. So we, we know that the courts in Pennsylvania basically usurped the, the authority of the legislature in terms of the deadlines for the elections and, and the certification and everything like that. So I think both avenues are there. It may end up kicking back to the legislate, legislature in a, in a state like Pennsylvania if the Supreme Court doesn't uphold what we think is right for them to say, hey, look, this is, this is wrong and we're the ones in charge and we're gonna, we're just gonna change our electors. So I think, you know, that might be a little bit of a higher hurdle. I don't know. How how could a court know? Let's suppose that the court says, okay, there is institutional fraud here, right? Let's say that that's what happens. What remedy could a court order? I mean, they can't order throw a new the ballots out. Actually, Ed, I don't. I think I shared the story. I'm not sure, 
somebody wrote a long article about a Supreme Court case that said there were like four um, tests or four conditions that had to be fulfilled. But if those were fulfilled, the court can actually order a new election and would. They're just very hard to fill. One of them was it has to be purposeful cheating. It has to be, like you said before, enough to overturn it. It has to be done by a government official or someone officially representing him. And I can't remember the fourth, but the point of the article, it was written by some lawyer, was that if you could meet all four, then the court could order a re-election. But I yeah, think but the point you made last week, which I've seen other people make now that you've made it, is that it's better for the state legislature to get together and order a new and just appoint electors as they wish. Well, but as a practical matter, we're recording this on November 10th. The Electoral College meets on December 14th. The court cases haven't even been heard. The evidence isn't even fully gathered. By the time all the evidence is gathered, by the time the court cases are heard, by the time opinions are written and rendered, I don't see how there'd be time to conduct new elections in even one state, let alone multiple states, to, to, do, to redo the election. If we had six months, maybe. And I mean, I know, for example, Mark Levin asked the Pennsylvania legislature to intervene before this election. He went specifically approached Pennsylvania legislators and laid out exactly what we're talking about here and told them you need to step in and, and issue a joint declaration that what the Pennsylvania Supreme Court did in changing the deadlines and changing election law is null and void and will be discounted and that the, the executive branch, branch should not follow those new rules because if they do, the election they, they will set a, a point they will appoint their own legislators uh, their own electors and the, the republican leaders of the pennsylvania legislature threw cold water at him and he they said no and mark levin is still steaming about it so this was something that was known before we didn't do anything about it um but regardless so that, of what, that, huh that's where i think that the trump people didn't do enough they saw this train wreck coming and they should have been more pre a little bit more prepared i, I think well, I, I agree with you 100 to go To go to court, to, and if they're going to stop the, the voting, then stop it. Stop it, period. I, they didn't I do agree 100% on that. I mean, not just, I mean, I don't think about stop the voting. They should have done it before the election. But in preparing to, to do this show, you know, I, I, I sort of wanted to take a step back and look at a little higher level view. I mean, I think the, the, the most important lesson that, that I think we need to remember and learn is, is also the most heartening thing that we can look forward to. And that is no political battle is ever permanently won or permanently lost. <laughs> and I think that is a big mistake that many of us forgot or didn't learn. We thought Trump won in 2016. We thought, you know, Brexit happened. We saw this, you know, the world was coming back to our side and we were winning and that the tide was on our side and that we had sort of won the battle and that it was just it was just a matter of Trump fin finalizing the, the deal. And I think that Trump was overconfident. I think that people on our side got overconfident. Um, and I think that we forgot that the enemy gets a vote. The enemy gets a say and no battle is ever permanently won or permanently lost. And as much as that's a, a bad lesson that we have to re be reminded of in, in the loss, it's also something to be heartened about going forward because 
this loss no. is not a permanent loss either. I see that Mike disagrees, but I'll disagree first because my block is on top of his on my screen. I, 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 I can't um, agree. I that, can't agree with it at all there. But tell ahead. that to the citizens of the USSR. Tell that to the <laughs> citizens of China. Um, what we've already lost since the New Deal, we're never getting back. We're, we're, we're way in the hole. Mike, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. I just don't agree with you. Ed. I, don't, I don't think our side is ever overconfident. I, I don't I don't think that we're ever sure of anything. I, I think we know that this is a pretty damn divided country. And we also know these things run in cycles. I mean, you know, right now I'm hearkening back to 2009, 2010, where, the, you know, Obama gets elected and the tide just massively turns in the other direction in the 2010 election. And I, and I think that's just what happens. You know, I sit here and wonder to myself, like, you know, in an off-year election, or you know, when it, when it's uh, you know Congress is back up every two years, where did everybody go that voted for Trump, and how did we lose to the Democrats? Well, again, it worked in cycles because, you know, naturally we don't like the guy who's in office if it's the other party, and then we get motivated, and then we all show up, and it just keeps oscillating back and forth. I think that's that's just the natural way Mike. to go. So I I don't feel like we're ever overconfident. We know we we have trouble with the electoral college right now. We're, we're up against it. We're swimming against the tide there. I don't know, Ed. I don't, Mike, I don't if, know. if Team Trump wasn't overconfident, then how do you explain that they knew about fraud? Trump has been talking about fraud for months, and he didn't do anything about it. I don't Are know that that speaks to, that speaks to overconfidence. I think maybe they just didn't they weren't properly ready. You know, they just didn't execute well. I mean, I, I still don't think he ran the greatest campaign either, you know, but I, I don't think they were prepared. I don't think they was, he was. I, again, I don't think there's anything Trump could do. Remember, it's the states to do it. What could Trump do? Order Pennsylvania not to send out mail out ballots. He has no control over how elections are held. No, but he has control over the message that he gets out. And instead of just saying mail-in balloting has the potential for fraud, he should have had his attorney general prosecuting lawsuits and saying this was violation of the Voting Rights Act. Unfortunately, unfortunately, except for you and Mark Levin, I don't know anybody who's going to be a decent attorney general. Barr proved to be an absolute blowhard who did absolutely nothing on the entire crossfire hurricane mess. And Barr was considered a million times better than Sessions. So apparently there's no such thing as a lawyer in this country who could be a real attorney general. It's nice that Barr woke up after the election and he's giving permission to DOJ to make investigations on his way out the door before the door hits him, you know where. So I don't think there are any attorney generals who have the guts. And by the way, just to throw into the mix, the Pfizer story. I know that our, our debate is gonna keep being, we cannot win because of the media. When you look at this Pfizer story, had it come out a day before the election, had that not swung a half a million votes, I think most people would admit it would have swung a half a million votes, which is why they hid the story, Pfizer and or the press. So as long as the information flow is controlled one way or the other, we will never, ever win. And as far as things go back and forth, things in America have not gone back and forth. They've gone faster and slower, faster and slower. But the government always grows. The government never shrinks. No department is ever gotten rid of. The debt never goes down. So again, the Democrats, when they're in office for eight years, go fast. The Republicans slow it down a wee bit. But from I mean, that, that's just a slightly yeah. different that's a slightly different issue in terms of which party people vote for, right? I mean, <laughs> I think that that tends to ha have a natural back and forth. 
But what I'm saying is the country is only gone in right. one direction. It goes faster, it goes slower. But if you compare where we are in 2020 to where we were in 1930, clearly we've gone in one direction. And we're not going- I don't think, that, I don't think that Trump took us in the wrong direction. I think that he while he wasn't- He slowed down the pace of going in the wrong direction. I, I disagree. I mean, who before Trump was talking about America first? Who before Trump was taking on China? Okay, no, that's not what I'm saying. In what way did the government get smaller? That's not the only metric by how whether we're getting going in the right direction. Well, sometimes if, we need more if, government to protect us from threats. China a is a gigantic relationship threat. between government size and individual liberty. Then yes, that's a problem. Well, is China's theft of intellectual property a problem? Is yes, China's there are other problems. There are other problems that he helped for four years. I'm not saying he didn't do a whole bunch of really nice things, but I'm saying the overall direction of the country is we're not going to go back to where we were before the New Deal. It's not going to happen. No one has the courage. And like I said last week, for Trump even having the nerve to suggest we do what we did, look at how he's been trashed beyond anybody to the point where they're going to throw his butt in jail. I have no doubt. That's not why he was trashed. Bush was called Hitler. McCain was called names. There, Romney was made out to be the worst human being alive. Every Republican is trashed that way. Never as bad as Trump. Never as bad as Trump. And never has there been talk of a purge after a president left office. And now there's open talk of a purge. There are open lists. Make sure no one gets a job who had anything to do with Trump. Um, people in public life saying, throw them all in jail. No doubt in my mind, the Southern District of New York is going to keep going after Trump. Somebody in Congress already said, we're not going to stop investigating him when he leaves. So they've never, now, after Trump, will they go after another Republican president that way? It's quite possible they will. Um, I was watching the, uh, you know, the Federalist Society has all of its convention online this week for free. So I'm watching it and not being particularly happy. And I actually cut out a clip of this um, female judge who apparently is an avowed liberal, but they have her on there for the sake of fairness. She talks about George Bush as if he's somewhere between Jesus Christ, Moses, and Muhammad for a um, Muslim. His transition team was so fantastic, so good. He was so unbelievably good to us. And I wanted to break my monitor. Is this the same exact people who said about George Bush that Bush is Hitler, the Bush lied, people died? Yes, it's the exact same people. So when we have a Republican president, they will always trash them to shreds, whether they think they're good or not. Objectively, right, which is why I don't think it's because Trump was trying but to Trump take us was to worse than anybody. Trump because of China, Trump because of globalism, Trump because of climate change, Trump because remember it was Hillary's election to lose. It was her office that she owned and he had no right to take it away. I'm just saying to say that anybody has reversed the direction that this country has gone in for 90 years. I don't think so. They've I done some good did, things. Reagan did a lot of great things. I think I think Trump did a lot more to reverse things than Reagan ever did. It wasn't four years wasn't enough for him to reverse the entire state, you know, course of, of the ship. But I think Trump did a lot to make to, to, to start the process of reversal. And I think injecting America first back into the vernac political vernacular of the Republican Party is a gigantic step in the right direction. No, it didn't. It may not win this election. We all think that it should have and did and that it's been stolen. But regardless, Going forward, 
That's something that wasn't part of the Republican Party before. The Republican Party was globalist. The Republican Party was in bed with the same international corporations that the now that the Democrats now control and that are making deals with China and, and using China to sell out American sovereignty. And I think that is a gigantic step in the right direction. And it's a gigantic reversal of American policy. Do you think the Republican Party has changed because of Trump? I think some portions of it. I think that the establishment part of their party is going to use the try and use the Trump defeat to take us back to the to the pre-Trump days. But I think that there are other parts, the, the, the Trump supporters are are not going to go back to that time. And I don't think I don't think there's going to be another Jeb Bush type or George W. Bush type president ever. I'm not sure there's ever going to be a Republican president again, but if there is, he's going to be a heck of a lot closer or she's going to be a heck of a lot closer to Trump than to any of these Bushes or McCain's or Romney's. I think those people are done and have lost. Jody? I think, I think you're right, Ed, on that part. I really, I, I, and again, I'm, I've, I've had such a transition on it, but I see the Trump voters and now, and I'm one, obviously, um, I think they're changed forever and rightfully so. I mean, it's been a really bizarre four years and I don't think, um, especially for me personally, I don't think settling is an option so much anymore. I I used to argue how, you know, how the left has been so effective because they were always willing to move the ball slowly, but the ball was always moving slowly to the left. And I thought, well, okay, well, we need to be able to do that, move the ball slowly to the right. Um, I don't know that that's even the moving the ball slowly to the right. I don't even know if it's possible anymore. I don't think Trump voters are going to go for it. Republican voters. I think they've changed. Yeah. He's, he's changed the game. There's no question about that. You know, he, he's shown he's a fighter. I, I don't know if some of these other Republicans are capable of breaking through that blue wall. You know, it's something when you look at the electoral college, but just one policy issue, I, I can tell you, I used to be a pretty staunch free trader. I mean, I still consider myself a free trader, but I also believe that, that Trump is right to, to rip up some of these deals and try to make better deals and to stand up to China. And, you know, I, I don't think we should necessarily be trading with countries that are our enemy. And I, you know, I think Ed has persuaded me to that, quite honestly, over the years as well. I mean, you know, we don't want to be enriching countries that hate us. So I think you know Trump was right on a lot of issues, and he and he uh, changed the conservative movement. I think on some of those issues as well. I have some questions. Uh, if anybody wants to answer questions, I have a question about: Does anybody know what the argument is? I, I prefer states' rights. I prefer states to have control. But what's the argument for states being able to control their own laws when it comes to voting that impacts the entire nation? Why? What would? How do they all get to sort of make their own standards up? Constitution. Ed, yeah. I know, but I'm saying, uh, and, and, and for the most part, I agree with that, but why on this issue when how California votes on a national level impacts me? And so I have no way of voting in that state to control who and how they put in the party or in power to control how their votes go. How, how is that good? Is, Again, I'm states' rights, but except on that issue, why, why, why should states be allowed to willy-nilly? Right, I'm going to give this one to Ed because he's our lawyer historian. 
Well, I mean, I'm happy to let you or Mike have a, have a say on it, but my say is I don't think that we want the federal government dictating control of, of anything more than necessary and especially something as sacrosanct as, as voting. And I think that insofar as the feds do have any oversight, um, it's to, in my view, it's contained within section five of the 14th amendment, uh, which is, um, you know, that Congress has the power to oversee state, state uh, rights, civil rights violations. Um, I think it's also contained within federal statutes on the Voting Rights Act and other civil rights laws that have been enacted pursuant to Section 5 of the 14th Amendment. Um, I think that primary jurisdiction should and properly is vested in the states. We shouldn't presume that the states are going to be uh, uh, malfeasant or, or that it's going to be overrun by miscreants. We should presume that states are going to exercise their sovereignty in a reasonable way. Um, and if they're not, then there's a federal oversight role. Um, but that's just it. It's oversight, not primary. Um, and, you know, but that also gets into, you know, a larger issue that we're, that we in the conservative libertarian movement really need to start. I mean, we, we need to evaluate it. And, and, you know, we've been talking about it on the show. And that is how much of the, the constitutional compact has just been broken. And what I mean by that is there are certain, there are certain things that the left is doing that are so, they're no longer reasonable differences of opinion. They're not trying to reach the same goal by different means as we are. They're trying to overthrow the system. And the libertarian slash anarchist response to totalitarians is private gun rights and really nothing else. It's, it's that government can't do anything to protect itself or protect the people. They're against government action. And my view is, is, is the opposite. And I, I think, I don't, I'm not sure, if, Jody, I don't wanna put words in your mouth, but you know, so I'll just speak for me. Government needs to be able to stand in, to step up and deal with a threat from would be totalitarians and would, would be rights violators. And we can't just, you know, Mike, you were talking a few moments ago about free trade. Well, sure, free trade in a vacuum sounds good, but when you do free trade with a dictatorship, you're enriching that dictatorship and making it more powerful and more able to, to harm you. And while I'm not saying that you don't want free trade with, with California if it's governed by dict dictators, at the same time, we do need to have some new strategies that, uh, that were not contemplated at the Constitutional Convention um, with regard to states that are not guardians of liberty. If you went back to the Constitutional Convention, everybody there, whether they were for or against the Constitution, believed that the state governments would be the, the vanguard and the, the guardians of individual rights. And we're now at a point in our history where that's not the case. And I'm not saying that we necessarily need a federal government to just crush an insurrection necessarily, uh, although maybe we do. I mean, what happened in Portland and, and other places over the summer looked like an insurrection to me, and it looked like state-level rights violations were happening on a massive scale. But just more generally, we need to look at 
what can be done and what re what can be done to deal with people that are committed to using our system to overthrow our system. And that's- And am I correct that according to the constitution, the state legislatures can appoint electors any way they want, even without a popular election? That is absolutely true. So the point of the presidential election was much more an issue of power of the states than anything else. Correct. And And that's why they got to decide how to do it. If you look at article two, section, one clause two, that's exactly what that provision provides. Uh, we have, all 50 states have enacted election laws allowing for popular elections, uh, but th- those statutes can't override the constitutional authority that vests the state legislatures with the ultimate power to disregard those votes and to say, you know what, we think that there's been a fraud here. We think there's something irregular here. We don't trust these results. They, the state legislatures are the ultimate deciders as to whether or not to certify those results. Right. So what I'm saying to Jody is the reason, whether it's fair or not, that we can't mix into how California does its voting process. The point was that the states were totally sovereign and they're the ones who made the federal government. We have it all backwards today. So it doesn't make sense why their election can mess up my life. But the point is when the states were sovereign, they could do anything they wanted. They were the ones who elected the president, not the people, which is one of the reasons why we're against popular vote um, electing the president and not the electoral college. I just think we should- I think it so goes far. deeper than that. I, I agree with you, Steve, but I think Jody's- You have to agree with me. I learned it from you. <laughs> goes, Jody's question goes deeper than that because I, I think that, I mean, Jody only mentions voting, but I mean, why should California be allowed to open its border and allow third world collectivists to enter the country in droves and allow those people to vote. Okay. And, and, and not only, I, I'll let you speak in a second, Jody, not only allow them to vote, but according to John Roberts, they need to be counted in the census. And, and that gets them more electoral vote power in the electoral college. So why should they be allowed to do that? The framers would say, well, California would never do something like that because there was this. There was a presupposition that everybody was was moral. You know, John Adams said, "You know, our Constitution was designed for a religious and moral people, and would be of no use to any other." And I think they all presupposed that we would all be acting in good faith, and that we would all be moral people, for better or for worse. Uh, and but today, that's not the case. We've got some highly immoral people that have taken over these blue state governments and are trying to destroy our system. And they're using our constitution not to protect our rights, but to silence anyone who objects to their violations of our rights. And that's a difference. And that's something that we absolutely, we're, it, we disregard that to our peril because if we don't look out, we're gonna be, we're, we're gonna be in, a, in a really bad spot in not very long. I think we're there, but so, what I hear you saying, please, I had some distractions in, in my house here, but if I, if I could summarize, the, I get what the founders would have been thinking because you know maybe at the time that made sense. It's something I would in theory support, but now seeing exactly that, why is it that some states can allow all the, my state, Illinois, can allow all these illegal people in and, uh, and allow them to vote now everybody in other states are hostage to somebody's bad, another state's bad policies. So I get how the founders 
might have thought it was okay and how the constitution might think it's okay because as you said, a moral people, it would have worked fine, but I don't think that's where we are today, so. I agree, and I don't think the founders would have said it's okay. I think that the founders, I, I think that, I mean, it's hard to put words in people's mouths, but you know, Jefferson said that you know, a little revolution every 20 years might be necessary. And I, I don't think that they would have condoned what, what the Democrats are doing today. Um, and I definitely don't think that they would say, well, if that's their choice, that's their choice. You gotta, you gotta let them be. I mean, you know, if I'm gonna point to the constitution, article four, section four of the constitution says that, every, that the federal government guarantees to each state a Republican form of government, not Republican party, but Republican in nature. And to see a state descending towards the totalitarianism and, and authoritarianism, I think that they at least, that provision of the constitution at least implicitly suggests that they would think that the federal government maybe could do something to stop it, whether it was you know Washington crushing the whiskey rebellion or or, or something else. I, I don't think that they would be okay with federalism when federalism was being used to destroy the, the system that they were creating. Mm -hmm. I think, and I think that's really one of the divides in our conservative libertarian movement. You know, there's I talk to so many people that think that anything that we do that in the and they're a the objection to Trump on the right was primarily from people who think that we have to have free trade and that that you know that we can't go after these big tech companies that are using their own private property rights to uh, bring in bring in the techniques of censorship that they've developed in China, and that you know we don't have hard evidence, but if they're working with the Chinese communists, I don't have any doubt that they're at least on the phone talking with. Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi about what they would like to do, given that the Democrats are the ones that receive all the Democrat, all the campaign donations from these big tech companies. So I have no doubt that they're all working together. And we know that these big tech companies are working to implement censorship in, in China and in, and in other countries, but particularly China. So um, people on our side heard Trump saying, well, we have to maybe revoke Section 230 immunity, maybe we need to go after uh, Facebook and, and Twitter for uh, you know, bait and switch tactics, maybe use the Federal Trade Commission, maybe use antitrust, you know, maybe use a whole variety of tools to go after them. And, and I heard a lot of people saying, well, wait a minute, that's not what you do in a free market. And the answer to that is, it's not about a free market. It's about, does your government have the power to protect you from would-be totalitarians? And the answer in my view is yes, yes, hell yes, absolutely. And, and not just that it has the power, it must do it. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't do it, we're gonna have a free market up until you know, we sell Lenin the rope that he uses to hang us. And I'm and, gonna ask you a question going back towards the voting. According yeah. to the constitution, no non-citizen can vote in a federal election, question one. And only the federal government can determine if you're a citizen for that purpose. Are those two things correct? Um, I don't have section one of the 14th Amendment open in front of me. I couldn't call it up and look at it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, off the top of my head, I don't think that that's what the Constitution says. Um, why don't you ask somebody else a question while I look that up? I don't have any other questions. I know everything. Else. <laughs> okay. uh there's a couple other issues I wanted to get to. I mean, 
we're, we're kind of veering into it, Mike. a lot of a lot of big picture constitutional things, which is great too. But uh, we have Obamacare before the Supreme Court, and I can tell you, I wasn't very I wasn't very encouraged by some of the things I heard Brett Kavanaugh asking about. Oh. And, uh, you know, uh, I think they went through what Kavanaugh said. I heard some, I heard a really discouraging thing from Roberts, but what did you hear? Well, from we expect that. I'm not expecting Roberts to, to overturn it, but if Kavanaugh is not on board, we lose again. I mean, again, this looks like another slam dunk case where they're just going to twist themselves into a pretzel. And, uh, you know, I'm worried Mike, a little bit. Mike, share Kavanaugh. with us what you heard because I don't think we're aware of it. Well, obviously, the issue revolves around the uh, the individual mandate and the penalty, which was revoked. And John Roberts justified Obamacare keeping it based on the whole idea that that was a tax, and now the tax is gone. <laughs> so that's that's the main issue before the court. Now, Kavanaugh, it just it sounded like he didn't think that that would be enough, even still, to overturn it. So I heard a little bit of it, I heard a little bit of it in passing. So I'm going to have to go back and check it some more, but. Based on the news re reports that I was hearing, I, I was pretty concerned about some of the questions that he was asking. Well, let me let me address that. But before I do, Steve, I'm looking at the 14th Amendment. And your question was that the does the Constitution prohibit citizens, non-citizens from voting? And In I think the federal the election. Is, I, I don't think that's what the Constitution says. So according to the Constitution, anybody can vote? I think according or whatever to that state says. Jody is exactly right. I think it's up to the state to decide. I, can't, I don't think that can be true because even the states that want to give franchise to non-citizens are only doing it for local elections. None of them have dared to do it for federal elections. Why not? Um, I, I know that there are federal statutes that are involved. I don't know what those federal statutes say. And it, I don't know if those federal statutes contain the prohibition that you're mentioning. Um, if they do, then the supremacy clause of the federal constitution would override a state law that would purport to give uh, the franchise to non-citizens. But I don't know. I just don't know the answer to that question. Um, as far as the, if I can also just go back to what Mike was saying about Obamacare, um, he's exactly right. John Roberts wrote an opinion upholding Obamacare on the basis that Congress had the power to tax and that the penalty was in effect a tax and that because it was a tax, it, Congress's power to enact Obamacare was, was, constitution, was, was there in the constitution. Then con Congress repeals that tax, that penalty, and there's, so there's no longer that tax. And I actually heard on a, on a news report earlier today, I heard, a, a, I heard Robert's question. I heard it was Robert's voice. Robert's asked one of the lawyers, he said, Congress had the power to repeal the whole law, but all they did was repeal this penalty. Isn't that true? And I didn't hear what the answer was. I didn't hear what the follow-up was. But that question was really deeply offensive to me because it's such a dishonest question in that it implies that... Be, he, the implication is that, well, if Congress wanted to repeal the whole law, they would have. And because they didn't, we should respect that. And yet this person himself wrote the opinion that said the only thing that makes this constitutional is that there's a penalty. 
and then the Congress withdraws that penalty, his opinion no longer stands, no longer holds. And if he does not vote to repeal this, to, to overturn Obamacare based on the repeal of that penalty, to me, that's a basis for this guy to be impeached. And, and I don't like making political, I don't like making ju judges into political animals, but he is the one making himself into a political animal. There is no, this is not just slam dunk, Mike. This is impeachable offense level yeah. if he does not vote to, to overturn this law based yeah. on the opinion he wrote. And the question that he asked during oral argument today was so outrageous. I mean, I don't know what he's thinking. I don't know what he thinks he's gonna try <laughs> and do in his opinion. But if he does not vote to, uh, to uh, overturn this law based on what he wrote six, uh, six years ago or eight years ago, he does not deserve to continue sitting yeah. on that Supreme Court. It's like one, con one convoluted ruling leads to another. And I should say opinion. I like saying opinions about the court now because that's what they offer is opinions, our opinions. Uh, here, here I pulled up the New York Post. Uh, this is a quote from Kavanaugh responding to one of the lawyers defending the law. He said, I tend to agree with you. This is a very straightforward case for severability under our precedents, meaning that we would excise the mandate and leave the rest of the act in place. That comes from Kavanaugh. Right. Well, so, Kavanaugh wasn't on the court, but severability is, see, that's the thing. Ordinarily, you would, the court, we would ask the court to sever any unconstitutional provision and let the rest of the law stand because that's what a judge is not supposed to substitute the judge's policy preferences for the legislature. And if the legislator made one mistake, it's not supposed to taint the whole law, except that in this particular case, the whole law depends on the piece that they're looking to excise. And, and by, by Robert's own word and deed, and if they uphold this, if they excise that provision, which is the one provision that Robert said the entire law was was uh, upheld on? It's it's a just a completely dishonest ruling, and there's there's no way to harmonize that with with the first Obamacare decision. There's just no way. Yeah, and th and this is why I continue to say the courts are no friends of liberty. We can't trust them. <laughs> I'd prefer not to go to the courts as often as possible. Um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes there's no other recourse and that kind of circles back to the situation with the election now, but it's hard to have any faith that they're going to rule the right way on cases that are pretty freaking straightforward. You know, it's very well, the second Obamacare case, if you recall, was also pretty straightforward. It was about the exchanges and they just rewrote the law, <laughs> even though we had, you know, we had uh, uh, what was his name? Jonathan uh, Gruber. Yeah. Uh, you know, saying, right. <laughs> saying that they deliberately did it the way they did it and that they and they were laughing at us for, for having yeah. judges uphold something that was never it wasn't their intent. I mean, I, we you know, we're not going to get into that whole ruling right now, but the second ruling was a dis, was a disgrace and a dishonest ruling as well. So we'll see. We'll see how this one comes out. Doesn't look good. I, I, I'm just really concerned going forward that Kavanaugh is going to start siding with Roberts now that that Barrett is on on the court, <laughs> and we're just going to continue to get these bad rulings constantly. Right. Like I said, I said to I, I got to correct myself. Bad opinion. <laughs> I said to Jody before the show, um, it may have been Reagan. It may I think it was Rush Limbaugh who used to say, 
being a liberal is the easy choice. And if you don't fight to stay conservative, you fall towards being a liberal. And I think that's part of what happens to people on the court. It's too hard to fight to stay a conservative internally or externally. And they all sort of just kind of slide slowly, slowly to the left. And that's a really scary proposition. Freedom is not free. I'm not sure. I mean, I know what you're saying, Steve. I'm not saying you're you're wrong, wrong, wrong. But I mean, I, I was never a Kavanaugh supporter until he was attacked as viciously and savagely as he was. I, I never thought that he was a good guy. I never thought that he was he was somebody that we'd be able to rely upon the way we can rely upon Clarence Thomas. I mean, to me, Clarence Thomas deserves not just to be on Mount Rushmore, but you know, maybe his own Mount Rushmore somewhere in some nicer state. Not that I have anything against. Uh, South Dakota, but uh, you know, South, you know, Clarence Thomas is is, is a in a league of his own. Um, I never believed that Kavanaugh was was a good guy. Uh, we were sold a bill of goods by by George W. Bush on Roberts. I mean, I know Roberts and Alito were appointed at the same time, but um, and you know, Bush gets credit for Alito, but he he gets credit for for Roberts as well. And you know, Bush was no conservative, and and it doesn't surprise me that Roberts is no conservative either. I don't think that he's trending left. I think he probably always was left. And, you know, he just he just hit it. And and you know what? I mean, it's not it's not just about power. I mean, I, I just just a couple hours to go earlier this morning, I heard, uh, you know, blast from the past. Dan Quayle, Dan Quayle, who was was a very conservative, cultural conservative guy you know, a laughing stock for liberals, but um, he was never he was never friendly to the left in any way, shape, or form. But he has now apparently come out and said it's time for Trump to 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 concede, and Trump should. Uh, you know, he's not the only one, Ed. You know, there's somebody else, right? Somebody um, we know very well, Chris Christie, who I think well, is in the final nails in, in, what, in, in yeah. any conservative sentence well listen i think listen he, he still has aspirations but i think he's putting the final nails in his coffin right now by try, trying to tell trump to concede so you have this base of trump supporters. That's the that coffin he didn't seal by hugging obama a week before the election <laughs> that coffin well listen that cost him a lot too it certainly did but that cost him mike pence's spot you know he has any hopes for the future still at this point to be going against trump and trump's base that feels that this election was stolen and telling him to concede before going, you know, letting this process play out, I think is, is really political suicide for him. I think it's, it's the end for him. Speaking of being disloyal to your base and totally changing the subject is Fox dying. That was going to be my next subject was parlor and, uh, and yeah, Fox too. Fox apparently Fox is really finally taking a big hit for dissing its own base and thinking it's somehow going to be loved like CNN, correct? It's quite possible. You know, I, I think, you know, I still look at different personalities on Fox and, and they have still straight up reporters and things like that. I mean, I can't say I have a problem with Tucker or Hannity. I like or Tucker. Hannity. I'm not leaving Tucker, but. Uh, they say if Tucker were to leave Fox, they have nothing. It, it's kind of interesting. I hope they, he does. The ratings apparently are really, really diving right now. So, but Ian, you know, when you diss your base, you don't leave much. <laughs> what else do you have? You can't uh, out and I assume we all heard about the guy on MSNBC who's been uh, cheering Biden's speeches. You know, wrote. The, the, 
Jody, I think we're you're freezing a little bit there. Yeah. But you know no. what I'm referring to? No. This guy was, on MSNBC, I think his name is Meacham, was writing Biden's speeches and then uh, going there praising the speeches. And now he apparently <laughs> lost his MSNBC gig. But yeah, we have such a fair press. Anyway, we're coming up on the hour. Let me give everybody a couple minutes to give us closing thoughts. We've been nice and calm today. So, Jody? Uh, I don't, I, I still had more questions that I, but that's okay. Um, uh, I don't have a ton. I just wanted, my, one of my biggest things is, you know, George Stephanopoulos told me that this fraud is not widespread. He, you know, maybe there's fraud, but it's not widespread. I'm the kind of person I need to know what the truth is. And I want to come at people like George Stephanopoulos with evidence of why he's wrong. And so I'm on the constant search for how do I know, how do I find these affidavits? How do I, how do I find evidence of what is what? When is this evidence going to come forward? Because I think there's a time limit here, not just from the process of we've only got between now and December 14th um, for the Electoral College to vote, but just the American people. I think we have a short time frame where they need to start producing some serious evidence that is persuasive. And so for anybody out there who can help me gather those parts and pieces as they come out, please let me know. Well, I think you're going to have to decide what's evidence. So when they say it's statistically impossible for 100,000 votes to all be for Biden and all be only filled in for presidential election, you as the jury are going to have to decide, is that evidence? Yeah. Because you're not going to get evidence. You're not going to get a smoking gun of somebody holding up a ballot and saying, I well, voted once and now I'm voting again. But according to, you know, whether or not he can win in the courts and if it falls on, you know, is it actual fraud? Can you can you show that it was fraud versus incompetence? Um, that's really important. Is is a, a statistical impossibility going to be considered fraud? I have or is to it tell you, Jody. Many times I have found myself accidentally and totally subconsciously putting cardboard on windows to keep people from looking in. It's the weirdest <laughs> thing. Sometimes I'm just in the middle of something and I find myself shutting off windows. I know. I no, don't get me wrong. I'm obviously I'm a believer. Right, I know, I know in, my, in my evidence? being that this was widespread fraud, but there's a there's that long bridge between knowing that this is and having a, a, a case that you can substantiate that belief with. And well, by the way, I'm going to I'm going to go back to what Ed keeps propagating to heck with the courts. There is no time. And I don't want necessarily the courts deciding what's the right evidence here. I think mm -hmm. what needs to happen is we read a thousand articles and we get everybody in Pennsylvania to pressure the legislature to say, you know what? we're going to appoint whatever electors we want. I think that's more um, a Republican way of doing things, small r. And I think it's, it's going to be better that way. We have to decide as the American people what evidence we're going to accept. Because a well, lot of you know, you're going to go lawyers and psychiatrists disagreeing over the um, intentions of the person who put cardboard up on the windows. You know, maybe they did it because they're claustrophobic. I don't know. But well, I, I think it's a great question, but. I think this was a strategy by our media to get all of the people to believe that Biden won so that 
if the facts fall out in favor of Trump, all of those people now are going to believe that it was stolen. So either way, whatever way this ends, I think there's no way from stopping huge swaths. One side or the other is going to believe it was stolen. And that's where we're done. I don't know how you fix that. Mike? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm sympathetic to your argument about going to the state legislatures. Uh, let, let me just- Not my argument, it's Ed's argument. <laughs> then I oppose it. No, just kidding. <laughs> but Not here's exactly my, Ed's my, argument. I'll, I'll my, clarify that when I get to speak. I'll just quickly try to give my glass half full uh, perspective on the election. I think Trump takes Alaska. I think he takes North Carolina. I think he probably takes Arizona. And then at that point, we're looking at two out of three states between Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And again, at that point, I think it comes down to the whole legality slash voter fraud issue. And Georgia's really close. It could turn easily after they maybe do count the rest of the votes are counting or there's a recount. But I, I think there's, again, if we're going to be optimistic, those are the avenues going through the courts, ha having things overturned and, and having ballots thrown out. And I do see a path for him still winning this thing. I do. I, I'm not saying it's going to be easy. Or it's not, you know, it's not a slam dunk by any stretch. It's an uphill battle. But I think that's the glass half full approach. He takes those three states I mentioned, Alaska, Arizona, North Carolina, and he's knocking on the doorstep. No, he's Pennsylvania also. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He, uh, he'd be on the doorstep. So he, he, needs, he needs Alaska, he needs Arizona, he needs North Carolina, and then two of three of of Georgia, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. If he takes Georgia and Wisconsin after that, he's at 269 and he wins. No, 269 would be a tie. Yeah, but then it goes to the, to the House and it's based on state representation and Republicans have more state representation. Right, well, you just, you can't skip, you know, you can't skip steps, I mean, math. I'm not, well, that's math. what I'm saying. Effectively, if we follow the procedure and the process, if it's 269, it goes to the House and he has the advantage. All right, so a couple of things. First, I just wanna clarify, yes, I think that the state legislatures do need to make the final call. And yes, I think that the argument needs to be made to the state legislatures, but I absolutely do believe that Trump and Trump's team Trump needs to make his case in the courts. Um, I don't think he should bypass the courts and just go straight to the state legislatures. I think it should be a dual track process um, I think that the standard of evidence in court is going to work both against him and for him. It's going to work against him in the sense that the burden is extremely high. And I think it's highly unlikely that he's going to get a court to overturn in the, the election. Um, and even if he does get them to overturn an election, I don't think the courts even have the power to award him the victory. So the most he could get in a court was would be to get into the batter's box at the state legislature. Uh, nonetheless, I don't think he should just eschew the, the, the court proceedings because you need to make your case. I mean, that's one of the things I, I've said repeatedly on this show. Republicans need to not be afraid to make their case, even if it means losing today with an eye towards winning tomorrow. And I think that applies with, these, with this court battle. I wouldn't expect to win in court, but I would hope that you can make enough of a case that even if the court says 
it sounds like fraud. It looks like fraud. And we're, we're really sympathetic to your claim, but your remedy is at the state legislature. There's nothing we can do. If, if he can do that, then there's a lot more possibility that the state legislature is going to act. If he just goes straight to the state legislature, which is what I think Steve was suggesting I had said earlier, the state legislature is just going to punt. The state legislatures, if the state legislatures were going to intervene without a court order and without any court action, they would have done so already because there's already enough anecdotal evidence for the state legislatures to be uh, taking up taking up this issue. And, and they really, I mean, I think Pennsylvania legislature has some hearings that they've set up, but they're not going to overturn things based on what we see right now so far. Um, as far as what Jody said about George Stephanopoulos saying that it's, you know, the fraud isn't widespread. He and, and all of his other media a-holes have been telling <laughs> us all summer that we've had mostly peaceful protests. And I'm sick of these mostly peaceful protests and a mostly legitimate election. This is not a mostly legitimate election. There's enough fraud that I'm skeptical that we had a, a fair and free election. Does that mean I don't think there were any legitimate votes cast? No, I do think there were plenty of legitimate votes cast. But I wouldn't let George Stephanopoulos off the hook on that. I wouldn't, and I wouldn't say that our burden should be, well, how much fraud was there? If he, if even George Stephanopoulos is saying that he sees some fraud and he's just trying to quibble over how much there was and we don't have enough, you know, we're not meeting our threshold. Well, to me, that says a whole lot and we need to make hay of that. Um, so that's just addressing what you guys said. Just as, as far as closing, um, you know, I already said earlier that I think that, uh, it's an important lesson to remember that no political battle is ever won or ever lost. And I think that was a mistake that Team Trump made going into this. Um, and I think a lot of, I mean, I, it's not that I didn't know that because this is something I've said for, for a long time, but um, it, was some, it was something that I, even me personally, I overlooked that in the, in the run up to this election. But um, it's still an opportunity for us to, to look ahead and look forward to, to fixing things. And with that in mind, my, my final thought is I'm deeply concerned that we're going to fight the last war during the next four years. And what I mean by that is everybody now is, is justifiably outraged at the voting system and at the voting fraud. And I know that measures, win, lose, or draw, Republicans are going to try their best to try and shore up the voting system. And I can tell you, I mean, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not privy to Democrat meetings, but I know what Democrats do. And Democrats have already moved on to the next battle. And the next battle imminently is the battle in Georgia. Okay, while we're focused on the presidential election, Chuck Schumer and the Democrats are focused on stealing an election, stealing two elections in Georgia and taking the Senate and shocking the world in, in about, what is today, November 10th. The elections are January 5th. So we've got 20, 30, we've got eight weeks, eight weeks till that election. I think it's eight weeks from today as we're recording this. And we're focused on the last war, which is did Trump win? And the next war is, are we gonna hold the Senate? And more generally over the next four years, what is the next war? Well. From our perspective, we're fighting the last, we're gonna fight the last war and try and shore up voting procedures. While the Democrats understand that the way to win, for them to win, 
is to insinuate themselves into all of the important cultural and political institutions, whether it's the media, whether it's corporate boardrooms, whether it's the courts, the, the teaching profession, the universities, and the next place is gonna be in the state legislatures. We just won three and possibly four state legislatures. We're gonna be either 26 or 27 Republican and then 20 Democrat and three or four tied going into to 2021. But the next, you know, the next battleground, the, you know, the left is gonna, what's the lesson the left is gonna take from this? They're gonna say, number one, ha ha, we won, we cheated and we got away with it. Ha ha, Hunter Biden is never going to jail. Ha ha, Comey's never going to jail. You know, all those other things. But then when you get down the list of things they're gonna say, they're gonna say, okay, next time, we can't let the Pennsylvania Republicans control that legislature to be able to appoint the, elector, the electors. We need to take over state legislatures. And that's what they do. They take over media boardrooms. They take over corporate boardrooms. They take over university faculty boardrooms. That's what they do. And I guarantee you, they are already strategizing over how they take over state legislatures so that they can avoid the threat of having their, their fraud exposed going forward, because that's what they do. And we need to be careful about not fighting the last war and focusing on the next war. And that's not to say we shouldn't try and shore up the voting system. We absolutely should. But we have to keep our eye on the ball and, and look forward. And going forward, number one, we better keep Georgia. We've got two Senate races in Georgia, and we need to win them because if the Democrats win those races and Kamala Harris is the tie-breaking vote in the Senate, we are going to be we're going to be set back a, a long way and we're going to have a lot more work to do to try and recover what we've lost than if we can hold the Senate and, and try and bog down the Biden presidency the way they tried to bog down the Trump presidency. And we also need to focus on making sure that we are running good candidates for the state legislatures all across this country to make sure that we continue to control those state legislatures going forward because ultimate power in this country still resides in the state legislatures if only they would assert it. And I can guarantee you, if and when the Democrats ever take control of state legislatures, they damn well are gonna assert it themselves. So we better be on guard and we better shore that up and make sure that we continue to put good candidates forward and protect the state legislatures. So with that, I'll, I'll yield my time. My filibuster is over. And uh, go ahead. I, I, I've lost my son, so I'm I, actually sitting outside. So I'm getting darker by the second. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean to say you, um, Ed, that you didn't want to also use the courts. I was just saying you're the one that said the importance of using the state legislatures. And I forget the other comment I wanted to say. Said so I'll wait until next week, when hopefully uh, everything will have switched back to the way it should be legally, and Trump will have won the election, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, thank everybody for participating, and we look forward to seeing you hopefully next Wednesday, regular date and regular time at 4 p.m. If nothing changes, this podcast will be up within a half hour to an hour. And as always, people listening to the podcast are invited to listen to it live so that they can add their comments as well. With that, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.